Welcome to the messages of Cornerstone Anglican Church. In this episode, Pastor Andrew further explores faith and how we should expect heaven when we take God's promise into our hearts. I want to touch on all three of our readings this morning because there are thoughts in there in each one of them which are quite precious. Let's start with the hardest first. Your multitude of sacrifices. I'm just sick of them. I had more than enough. I no longer take pleasure in them. Why are you trampling my courts? Why are you bringing meaningless offerings? I find your feasts, your special services detestable. I can't bear your assemblies anymore. I actually hate them with all my being. They are now a burden to me. I hide my eyes. And when you're praying, I'm just not listening anymore. When you read the book of Isaiah, you find a very complex book. Isaiah, in chapter 6, gets called to this prophetic ministry. And he's just minding his own business, doing his everyday chores. And next thing, there's this vision of the throne of God with angels and glory and power. And Isaiah's just overwhelmed. And he says, I'm a dead man because I've just seen God and I'm not in good condition. I'm a man of unclean lips that lives in a nation of unclean lips. Isaiah is very much aware of the condition of the nation and probably his own condition prior to this. But the appearance of God in all his holiness and righteousness, it just brings everything that is negative in his life and in his nation and his community and it just highlights it and it's just over. And then in the vision, the angel takes a coal from the fire and comes down and touches his lips and says, be cleansed. And he's a changed man. And he's feeling just so good inside. So clean from the uncleanness. And then he does something really stupid. See, God is having this conversation with himself saying, who will we send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah's there. As this conversation's going on. He's saying, hey, 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 I'll go. Why don't you send me? Didn't even ask what it was he was supposed to do. And God says, oh, 
Isaiah. So they actually agreed that Isaiah could go. He said, well, okay, what am I going to do? You're going to preach the word of God to the nation until there is nobody left in the land. You're going to empty the country. Syria is going to attack Israel and take it captive. And Judah is going to Babylon. So you get this book by Isaiah, and it's full of passages like we've heard in the first chapter. Of people of Sodom, of people of Gomorrah, fancy calling the holy nation of God. The chosen people of God. The people of Sodom and the people of Gomorrah. Things aren't good in the nation when it gets to that level. So what is happening here with Israel? I don't know if you didn't notice, God's not happy. God's issue was they were coming to worship in the state that they were. They were not bringing their hearts truly to God when they came to worship. It goes on to say, your hands are full of blood. They were not good neighbours. They were not loving people. They weren't being kind to one another. They were abusing, using, demeaning, defiling. They were doing atrocious things to one another. And even though they would come to the multitude of services in the temple, they would run off to their other gods in between and worship them in the high places. So not only were they mistreating one another, they were really mistreating God. And you see, this is a revelation about God as much as it is a revelation about where Israel was in their own lives. That God actually feels. He didn't create us just as an afterthought. Oh, why don't we put a planet here? Why don't we throw in a universe? Oh, why don't we make a few people see what they do? No, no, God is far more intricately involved in the creation than I think we ever imagined. He doesn't create the universe, the world, or even us out of himself. We're not an extension of God in that way. But there's something of himself that he puts into the process. When Adam and Eve decided to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil against orders, something went terribly wrong. And we, in our day and hour, we just got to read the newspaper, listen to the news to think just how wrong this planet is. I'm not saying that there's not right and good, but there's enough evidence to show that people do atrocious things to one another. People claiming to be Christians do atrocious things to one another. But we don't understand just how painful all of this is to God. But here in Isaiah chapter 1, God actually starts pouring out his feelings to the nation. 
Now, what do we do with that? Well, I think the only thing you can do with that is check your heart. And specifically, check your heart when you come to worship. And I was doing that again this morning, saying, Lord, where's my heart and all that? And found out that it wasn't quite as bad as I thought it might have been. And you might find that when you start saying to God, where's my heart? That it just might not be bad as we actually sometimes think it is. God goes on here and says, stop doing wrong. Learn to do the right. Seek justice. Look after the fatherless and the widows. And then God says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. The same thing that had happened to Isaiah and his vision would happen to the nation if they took heed of what God was saying to them. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. And they did not listen to Isaiah or God. Israel was destroyed utterly. Every person carried away to Assyria. And then Assyria repopulated Israel with people from other countries. And then eventually Judah is carted away to Babylon for 70 years. So they didn't heed, they didn't listen, they didn't turn about, they didn't repent, they didn't bring their hearts to worship truly. They continued in the practices they were doing and they paid a price. A lot of theologians and liberals don't like the passage we just read. and well, We don't like it at one level, but they don't think that's a nice God. The person who gets criticised in this is not the people for not doing the right thing. It is God. It's such an ugly picture of God. But is it an ugly picture of God? It's more an ugly picture of what we can do when we walk away from him. And then Jesus comes and things take a different picture. So for instance, in Hebrews 11, 1 to 3, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So faith is about something that you don't yet have. But it is definitely a God idea. It is definitely something that God has laid upon our hearts and our minds to strive for, to work for, to live for, to hope for. And it is an assurance that that which we hope for will truly happen. It's going to happen. And I know over the years as I've watched these hopes come to realisation 
how many times you say, yeah, it's going to happen. Then I discovered something about faith in the process. You see, God gives a promise. And many Christians sit back and say, go ahead, God. Like God said to Moses, I heard my people cry. And I've come to save them. Moses says, wow, great. Yep, and I'm going to do that for you, Moses. Oh, no. <laughs> Happy for you to come, God, but not through me. And so often God gives us a promise and we don't do the hard work we need to do to see it realised. So faith is coming to the line and being obedient to God to do what he asked us to do. What I love about this passage is that the writer lays out what faith's about and then pulls in four or five different Old Testament men or women and talks about their walk of faith and the things that they believed that were unbelievably impossible to happen. One that Abraham, through Sarah, was going to have a baby at the age of 90. That happened. But the promise wasn't just you're going to have a baby, but that through that baby I'm going to establish a nation that will be greater than the sand on the beach or the stars in the sky. And that happened. But as I was reading, there were two things as sidelines here. In verse 3 it says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And you know, that's a really important verse for us because culturally we don't believe it. We believe in the Big Bang Theory we believe in evolution, and those are such prominent thoughts in our scientific culture. But at the heart of it, at the actual depth of meaning, God created all that we see out of nothing. Now, how do we take that? We take that by faith. And you know, when we take that by faith, it changes how we see people. People aren't just things to be used. They are people to be loved. They're just not accidents going somewhere to happen. They have a purpose and a destiny in God. They might not be fulfilling that purpose and destiny, but they definitely have one. And when we intrude into their life, and God wants us to intrude into their life nicely, it is to realign them with the purpose that God has for them and their destiny. And we can only do that when we have faith that our Creator God put all this together. And He just didn't put it together as a whim. But it had a purpose. And that's why that Isaiah passage is so important. God is quite upset with his people. Deeply upset. 
We're just not sort of like a test run. Create a universe and put some people in and see what they do. God didn't intend us just to merrily go along and do whatever. He intended us to be a people in love with him, centered in him, empowered by him, given joy and love by him, and live in peace and prosperity. Sometimes back I mentioned reading a scholar basically telling us that most Christians have the wrong idea about heaven. And we shouldn't be living to expect to go to heaven when we die. And then you read this. Instead, they were longing for a better country. So these men and women of God who had faith never saw the realisation of their faith. But they knew that the realisation wasn't here. It was somewhere else. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. We should expect heaven. We should live our life in the understanding that what we do here impacts heaven. What we don't do impacts heaven, impacts eternity, our eternity. That what we do here matters to God. That how we see things, do things, love things, try things, matters to God. Because our country's not here, it's coming. We're on our way there. So then we get to our gospel. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. He's not going to give you the kingdom. He has given you the kingdom. You see, we are not alone. Have we ever imagined that? That every time we celebrate communion, every time we sing a song, we're not alone just as this little flock that heaven is with us. That you can't separate the dynamics of what happens on the planet with heaven. That God won't be separated. He won't stand aloof from what's happening. He may not do what we think he ought to do. But he won't be aloof no matter what is going on. That he's engaged with us. And then we're told to sell our possessions. We're told to be ready for service at all times. So we started by talking about having our hearts right when we came to worship. Now we have our hearts ready all the time. Jesus takes us to a new level. We have our hearts ready for him at the drop of a hat if he pops in. You ever anyone disturb you when you're really busy and you send them away? Have you ever done that to God? When he interrupts you when you're really busy? I'll get to you in a minute, God. I've got this thing going on. Oh, no. The moment he interrupts, you stop and take notice of what he's saying. 
Because whatever he's saying is, is more important than what you're doing or is going to really impact what you're doing. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And what is the nature of the kingdom but to grow? God is wanting to pierce the hearts of people who either don't know him, who have walked away from him. And he's doing it through us. It is the hour for them to come to God. Let's pray. Father, if we have been cavalier with you, we apologise today. If we haven't given you enough of our heart, we apologise to you today. So create in us, Lord, an awareness of our love for you, our commitment for you, our availability for you, that we will be white as snow, that we will be holy in the depths of our being, that we will care for those around us, and go out of our way to make sure that they are safe. To make sure that they have what they need. And to make sure that they find you. Bring us people to help with the harvest. That we might reap a bountiful harvest into your kingdom. For which you have given to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to hear more great messages from Pastor Andrew, check out our Facebook page or look us up on the net at cornerstone-church.com.au.